Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We're recording today's episode on Thursday, March 8th, a day when many of my colleagues on the East Coast have been slammed by a huge nor'easter. But you'll be listening to this episode on March 15th, and by then we hope everyone will have dug themselves out from the snow. We'll be battening down the hatches for the next major storm, the arrival of spring admissions decisions. On today's show, we will open up our office hours to talk a little bit about how you can prepare for those decisions to arrive, including some discussion of the mindset you might need to be in and the way you can think about moving from a a few birds in the hand to a decision about where you'll be going later in the fall. We also plan to continue last week's discussion about financial aid myths with a special focus today on personal assets and income. If you make an income or have any assets and someone has whispered to you about financial aid at colleges and universities, you want to stick around for our third segment to make sure what you're hearing is in fact true. But before all that, we want to acknowledge that spring is just about here, even if some of our countrymen and women are currently buried under deep snow. And that means spring break and campus visits are right around the corner. On each of the last two weeks, we've talked about campus visits and overnight stays. You can go back in the archives and find those episodes. But today we want to focus on what to avoid. Yes, it's those common campus visit pitfalls. Joining me today to help us make sure we're not taking any wrong steps is my colleague in beautiful Southern California, Olivia Sajadia. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. Of course. Now, we had talked about doing... um, sort of like an Animaniacs style, good idea, bad idea for the college <laughs> visit program. But since I think since most of our listeners are too young uh, to know Animaniacs or too old, um, it's just the two of us that are in a position to understand that <laughs> reference. But I wanted to at least acknowledge that we had thought about doing it. Um, so what we want to do is basically move chronologically through the all the steps associated with planning visits and talk about some things that could go wrong at each point in that process, uh, based on our experience as college counselors, but also as admissions officers who are evaluating students. Um, so let's start just with advanced research. Um, and this fits into the planning process. Um, but when we talk about advanced research, you're basically you're getting out there and learning a little bit about the schools before you go and visit them. What are some pitfalls that you observe with students uh, when they're engaged in that advanced research process? I think for me, you're so right that a lot of it does go on the lines along the lines of planning a visit. Um, I know that at different admission officer offices I've worked over time, they have different schedules of when they allow people to visit or and when they welcome people to visit, um, and making sure that you have a true understanding of when the admission office is open, when they're offering tours, uh, whether it be just during the week, some colleges offer tours on the weekends. Um, having done that research, written it down so that you're not approaching uh, visiting a school that is not going to be open. Um, right. So I would say that, yeah, it definitely starts there. And you find some schools, they might have um, a morning and an afternoon tour Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but only an afternoon tour on Tuesday, Thursday or something along those lines. And so I think, a, you know, a mistake that a, a lot of families might make is 
they plan their trip, they buy their airplane tickets, they book their hotels, and then they go to the college website to determine which tours they're going to sign up for. And they find, oh, wait, our plan actually doesn't work because of the way this, these school schedules fit together. So exactly, start yeah. always with the college website, figure out what their schedule <laughs> looks like. Um, are there other mistakes that you think families make before they ever even step on a plane or get into the car that, that um, might be connected to this planning process? Absolutely. And I think it goes along the lines of really just checking to, to see what the hours are of the different tours and information sessions. Just knowing that spring break is a really busy time for admission offices. It's when a lot of students are coming and families are coming to visit campus. So making sure that you're scheduling the tour and the information session, whether it be to call the college or go on the college's website um, and actually put yourself on their schedule. Because I know that for us, um, when I worked at American during a busy time, the busy time of year of spring break, we only had a room for the information session that fit a certain amount of people. Um, and we would have people come in who hadn't booked in advance and we weren't able to accommodate them for the information session. Um, for the tour, we were, but the info session not. Um, so you want to make sure that you're going to be able to uh, be a part of all of the different parts of a visit. And the best way you can do that is by planning in advance and booking a visit. Right. I, and I think that there's also, in addition to letting them know that you're coming, there's also, you know, you don't want to just assume that the only thing you're going to do is a tour or the only thing you're going to do is an info session. There may be more opportunities, especially at smaller schools, to perhaps sit in on a class. Uh, when I worked at Reed, we always offered lunch with students. So you could do an info session, then a tour, and then go over to the dining hall with a meal that's paid for for the visiting student uh, to have lunch with a group of other prospective students and a student host. So that that's something that, you know, you don't, if you give a call and you find out ahead of time what all of the different offerings are, you can maybe find out that there are some really cool things you can take advantage of. Um, all right, let's move to the next stage in the process. Um, just in terms of travel. Now we might have like just basic pitfalls associated with how early you get to the airport. Uh, and making sure that you get to the <laughs> rental car counter um, and, and rent a car, whatever that may be. Um, anything that is sort of college specific, um, things that you might you know, find are mistakes that students make? Absolutely. Something especially as a lot of you on the East Coast are in this crazy weather um, or what I think of as crazy weather. Um, right. Just make sure that if there is uh, snow or there is some sort of intense weather going on when you're visiting, uh, check on the in the college's website to make sure they're actually going to be open for your scheduled tour. Um, you might get an email or something like that to let you know it's been rescheduled, uh, but you might not. Uh, so just having making sure that you're going to show up to a campus full of people as opposed to a campus that has been closed for something like a snow day. Right. And, and, you know, at Reed, we would have closed for three inches of snow. You're not going to find that that happens at the East Coast because they can manage snow pretty well, but better than we can up in Portland. Um, I also, I talked to one of my students just yesterday and she went and visited NYU. Um, and, and she said, oh my gosh, I felt like I could deal with the rain because when I, where I live in California, the rain is warm. And I felt like I could deal with the snow because it's cold, but it's not so wet. But cold rain was miserable. 
Um, and I, I don't know that she had looked at the forecast before she actually went to visit NYU ah. or, and brought along the appropriate clothing to prepare for that. She was also going to see uh, a Southern school on the same trip. So uh, make sure that you plan for the weather. Look at what the, the weather is going to be while you're there and, and dress appropriately, especially if you're going on a tour because you're going to be walking around campus outside, rain or shine. Uh, that's something I think to, to pay attention to. Definitely, um, definitely. Bring your walking shoes. <laughs> yes. You'll be tracking a lot of miles. That is right. I mean, that, you know, that seems like a silly thing, but like you're going to be walking a ton. Um, you might want to bring a water bottle because you're going to, you know, you're going to be walking around for, for an hour. Um, some people forget that stuff and it gets to be a problem. Um, all right. Let's talk about getting to campus uh, and, and the more formal visit. Um, what are some things for a student to you know, mistakes that maybe students make when they arrive on campus or just just some things that they might want to pay attention to as they're as they're beginning to interact with the school itself. A couple of different things, I would say, um, and we'll start with the idea of like a pitfall because that's sort of our topic for the day. But I would say that if you're visiting campus, even if you haven't scheduled a formal visit, make sure you check in with the admissions office so they know that you're visiting campus that day um, and to see if you can get on a tour. Because some schools out there, I know as we've talked about before, um, do track interest. They want to know that you visited campus. Um, and at the very least, you'll end up on uh, their mail or email list. So absolutely check in with the admissions office. Yeah, that, that definitely is something where I've, I've had my students, they say, oh, yeah, we were in town, so we stopped by the campus. And I said, well, did you check in the admission office? And they'll say, no, we just walked around for an hour or two. And it's so easy to stop by the admission office and just fill out a form that says, hey, I was here and visited. Um, and it really does matter, um, especially for smaller schools that, that do track that interest. It's, it's such a small thing to do, but it, it, it's such a, a big oversight uh, if you don't do it. So Letting the college know that you're there, I think, is really, really big. That's a great point. Um, what about just interactions in general? Uh, you know, you get to campus, you you park um, the car, you start walking across campus. Like, are, are there mistakes that students make in terms of their demeanor or attitude or maybe they're just not thinking about uh, how to engage with, yeah. I don't know, I, it, yeah, I it feels like there's something here. Yeah, definitely. And I, but I think it, it can go sort of kind of far in either direction. So I don't ever want students to think that, you know, once they step foot on campus, there's someone who is like checking in on them or like making sure they're acting in an appropriate way. No one is following you, prospective students around campus, making sure that they're just acting, you know, acting in a certain way. At the same time, I mean, you're approaching a place where you're thinking about going to school. So I think that, you know, just acting, acting appropriately um, for that sort of situation. I mean, you are a guest on someone's campus um, yeah. and to, to take that into consideration and remember that as you are there for the couple hours that you are. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine a situation where you, you know, you arrive on campus and you go into the campus coffee shop and you're standing there with your mom and you're waiting in line and you say, oh, this place is just not as interesting as the school visited yesterday. And then you get to the admission office and you find that you actually said that behind the person who's giving your information session. He was also in line at the coffee shop and heard you say that. Uh, you got to be careful of those kinds of things. And, you know, while it's okay to sort of have an opinion, I think that um, that sort of scenario reflects two things. One is 
um, just, you know, be cautious with uh, what you're saying about a school and how you're presenting because you don't know who you're going to be interacting with. But secondly, um, I think one of the pitfalls that students fall into is making up their mind too early about a school. You come onto a campus, um, you have an initial first impression for sure. Uh, but you might find that that impression grows as you are exposed to different parts of campus. Um, and if you let that first impression totally color how you feel about that school from the get-go, uh, you're not sort of retaining an open mind about what the school offers and um, learning really what some of the differences are among colleges and universities out there. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't agree more. Um, especially, I hear this a lot when students and families visit over the summer where maybe there aren't as many people on campus and they just assume that that means that camp there's never anyone on campus or it's never a busy yeah. place. And I know that um, a lot of times that sort of uh, colors their view of what campus life is like. So absolutely recognizing that sort of your hour or two on campus, um, sure, it, certainly there are going to be a lot of meaningful takeaways, but don't let one thing either make or ruin your entire time there. Absolutely. Whether that's the weather or your attitude or the fact that you didn't get a breakfast because you had to hurry up to not be late, <laughs> be aware of the way that those external factors are influencing how you feel about a school. Um, let's move to some of the more formal offerings from uh, admissions offices when students visit. Um, we've got tours, we've got information sessions. Those are sort of the biggies. Um, what are some of the mistakes that families make on tours? On tours, I would say, as someone who was a tour guide, I think many of us here at College Coach uh, have yep, a similar too. background in that, um, is just to make sure you're letting the person giving the tour um, get through what they have to say and talk before you interrupt them with uh, a question or posturing in a way where you think you might know more than they do as the tour guide. Um, those are things I remember encountering when I was a student giving tours. Yeah. And I would also, I would add to that, that, um, yeah, you have things you want to say. I always like carved out time when I would have questions, like we would have a, a quiet walk, uh, through a part of campus and people could ask questions at that point. So know that that's coming. Um, I would also say that my tour quality um, usually correlated with how engaged the tour guide, like if people were just sort of wandering around and not listening to me, it was harder for me to get excited about the tour I was giving. And so if you're engaged in making eye contact and showing that you're interested, you often get more out of the tour guide than you would otherwise. Um, and so some mistakes I think students make is just sort of zoning out and treating the tour as though it's just a walk around campus. You can get some really interesting perspectives from that guide. Um, and Olivia, you had mentioned when we were talking beforehand about mistakes about who students talk to, that they might isolate sort of the perspective that they get. Did you want to mention that to, to listeners? Definitely. I mean, I think it's absolutely important to listen to your tour guide and to make sure you're getting all the really good pieces of information about the school. I think it's equally as important to speak to some people on campus who are not employed by the university, um, just because the reason a lot of students are tour guides, the reason I was a tour guide, I loved my college, I wanted to be able to get other people excited about it. But you're going to find people around campus who have some different experiences, and I think it's really important to to kind of branch out and speak to some other people uh, as well, whether that be in the dining hall um, after, before, after your visitor, you know, in the student center 
as if you stop by there afterwards. Um, just really engaging with people outside of like the admissions office. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a mistake to assume that that tour guide, if it if it's just one person that you interact with, uh, maybe your schedule doesn't allow you to talk to a lot of other people. But assuming that that one tour guide has an experience at that school that is representative of everybody else is a real mistake. Um, whether that's a, you love that tour guide or hate that tour guide, um, that's not necessarily reflective of what your experience will be like at the school. And so what Olivia is suggesting here is the wider the pool of people you talk to, the more representative you're getting a sense of what the, the college experience is. Um, Olivia, I want to do some quick hits because we have just a few seconds left, but are there some other pitfalls that you want to underscore uh, for, for people during their time on campus that we absolutely need to mention before we sign off the segment? Yeah, I would say just quickly, when you're sitting in an information session and the admission counselor is talking, you know, unless you're taking notes, put away your phone. Um, you don't nice. look like yeah. you're not paying attention or engaging or texting. Um, same thing goes for the parents, honestly. It just sets a bad tone as a presenter if people uh, really aren't paying attention to to you up there and you're really just trying to do your best giving the information. So I would say as you are engaged in a tour, stay engaged in that information session. That, that was always a big one for me. And we did as admission officers who gave those info sessions, if we noticed really bad behavior, um, we would make note of that and put it in a student's file because we had that student's information, they had signed up. Um, this was very rare, but if a student was rude to our receptionist or to our student guides or to us, that was something that would be included in their file. Uh, so be careful of that. Um, don't just don't be rude people. <laughs> Especially as it pertains to the always good process. advice. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the thing that the one thing that I would say is a pitfall is you, there is um, no reason ever for you to drink during a college visit. Uh, if you're staying overnight in a dorm, uh, if you got a dorm host, even if your hosts are drinking. Do not, there's no reason for you to spend that one night uh, drinking with your host. There are a lot of bad stories about uh, students that have had too much to drink. They get reported back to the admission office. Um, and that basically means uh, you're not you're not getting into that school. Um, so mm -hmm. don't ruin what would otherwise be a great visit um, by by drinking alcohol on your visit. Uh, that's that's me in dad mode, um, really sort of put, <laughs> putting, putting it down. Um, Olivia, uh, that was great. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today to talk about the uh, potential concerns associated with the college visit. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, and enjoy your visits, guys. I mean, overall, it's going to be it's going to be great. As yeah. we learned in the past couple episodes, we just want to tell you about some stuff to prepare for. So, yeah, enjoy your That's time on right. all these campuses. That's right. Go back in the archive and hear all the great stuff that happens on the visits. <laughs> Um, and next time we will, we'll make our segment found in the 90s era cartoon. Um, we'll figure out a way to get that done. Um, <laughs> so into it. Thanks so much, Ian. Awesome. When we come back, we are going to travel up the California coast to the Bay Area for a discussion on preparing for regular decisions to come rolling in. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, before we introduce our next guest, uh, a little bit north of Olivia in, in California, I'd like to take a moment for uh, a school spotlight. Today, we are heading down south to Mississippi. As the largest university in the state, the University of Mississippi, a.k.a. Ole Miss, attracts more than 18,000 undergraduates to its main campus in Oxford. While students are most drawn to majors in nursing, marketing, accounting, finance, and communications, the university offers some pretty unique programs as well. Consider earning your bachelor's degree in paralegal studies in the School of Applied Sciences, integrated marketing communication in the School of Journalism, or Southern Studies in the College of Liberal Arts. UM's honors program attracts some of the university's strongest students, and it's easy to see why. Uh, With access to priority registration, honors housing, and one-of-a-kind experiential learning opportunities, not to mention honors classes in everything from English and fine arts to math and science, the school's 1,400 honors students can find plenty of opportunities for personal and academic enrichment. Greek life is very popular here, with approximately 42% of underclassmen belonging to a fraternity or sorority. But there are plenty of other ways to get involved in campus life, too, including the Ghost Light Repertory Theater, Ole Miss Relay for Life, and both men's and women's ultimate Frisbee teams. And we know I love that. Uh, like many other schools, Ole Miss will be releasing their admissions decisions this spring. And so students all over the country gearing up for that news 
And joining me to discuss the regular decision release process is another one of our West Coast stars, Lauren D. Prospero. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Of course. So regular decision, um, I think this is sort of what students are anticipating when they first start thinking about the college search process. Um, mm -hmm. It sort of leads up to mid-March to late March when schools start um, sending them info. Uh, it, I want to talk a little bit later about how they can prepare mentally for the decisions to come down. But are there some things that students should be doing uh, just from sort of a pragmatic perspective to get ready mm -hmm. to receive decisions from schools? Yeah, absolutely. Um, students really need to make sure that they have their login information ready. Um, so if they didn't write down their username and password, <laughs> making sure that they go back and, and check to make sure that they have access. Um, additionally, going in to make sure that all documents have been received by the school. Um, yeah. You know, you never want to think about it, but sometimes an SAT might not have made it in, and now's the time to find out if that happened. Right. So hopefully you did that back in January, but there are some hopefully, cases yeah. where but it's, but it's it always slipped your mind. <laughs> it's good to check. And, you know, you have some situations where students, they're finding their friends are all hearing back from the school that they applied mm -hmm. to and they're not getting a decision. And it might just be because they something that they needed to send was not received that's required by the school. So now right. is a good time to to go back and, and check that. I think that that's a that's a really great point. Um, you mentioned sort of passwords and login information. That's that's for what exactly is that for? Like the students' email or web portals? Maybe some some of our listeners are unfamiliar with the way that these decisions might be released. Yeah, absolutely. So most schools these days are releasing their decisions online. You might also be getting a hard copy letter, um, but you would have to log into the portal when you find out the admissions decisions are released. Um, some schools have their own portals, and so you might have a number yeah. of different passwords and usernames to get into any of the schools that you've um, applied to. So it all depends upon the school, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, so um, our colleague Christine, who worked at Stanford, they had a, a system that um, only connected to students uh, through that portal. And so yeah. if students weren't logging in there, they weren't receiving any communications from Stanford. And so exactly. and they could see whether students were logging in or not. They saw, you know, 5,000 of our applicants haven't logged in. So you need to yeah. know what that information is. And, and now is a good time to, to make sure that everything is in order to receive that info. Um, mm -hmm. I would also add, make sure your spam filters are not sending college emails straight to spam. Uh, if you've set up some sort of system to put college emails straight to the trash because you're tired of hearing from them, uh, now's the time to pull those out, <laughs> to, to turn that off so that you can get those admissions decisions. That is a great um, point and very important. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so that sort of is sort of the pragmatic side of things. Um, now... What about sort of the the moments that these these decisions uh, come in? Um, you know, what would you say that students and and parents should be thinking about um, on the eve of uh, potentially receiving decisions from schools? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this can be a, a nerve wracking time. Um, you know, your student has done all they can; they've submitted their applications, and now it's really just waiting. Um, so, I think from a, a parent's perspective. You know, the number one thing I recommend is to use this time to take a step back from the process um, and to really help your students understand that your love and approval doesn't come from the colleges they do or don't get into. Um, for students, it's to keep in mind that decisions are not personal, even though it feels that way. Um, 
many colleges have way more qualified applicants than they have seats for in their freshman class. Um, and, you know, there are many pathways to success and happiness. You know, I'd also recommend trying to find out when decisions are due to be released. Not all colleges announce this, but some will. Um, and not all colleges have single release dates. But having this information, I think, can be really helpful um, so that you as, as a family can prepare for any outcome um, and really be prepared to celebrate your student's success you know, if it's their first choice school or their fifth choice school, and to really help them process what they will be feeling if they're not admitted, um, I think is, is all really important. Yeah, there, there's so much good advice in there. I, I really love that. I love that last idea of celebrating the success, whether it's a first choice mm-hmm. or a fifth choice. Um, you know, I got into, I got into Reed first, and Reed, Reed's where I went to school. Um, and I was like, oh, great. I, that's one of many. And then as the other admission decisions started to arrive, they were all denies. And so mm-hmm. I sort of casually was like, oh, good, I got in to read. Like, that's great. I'm looking forward to these other schools and didn't really celebrate that as getting into right. college um, in, a, in a meaningful way. And so for me, it felt like it diminished when I went back to read it as an option. It diminished mentally for me, just psychologically, how good that school was. Um, right. And I think you can do the th- same thing unintentionally as a parent. If a student gets into a school and you're like, oh, well, that's your safety school. Like we expected that. Right. Um, right. Getting into college is hard and it's a culmination mm-hmm. of, of a lot of hard work that a student has put in. And even if you expect to get into a school because it's your safety, um, I, I, it, there's good reason to celebrate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also um, I really like that idea of having a plan. Um, you know, some schools send uh, paper decisions, but more and more it's coming electronically. And you might talk to your kids about, you know, are we going to open this email together at home? Um, yeah. You know, you, we want to all be there to, to see what the news is, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, scrolling through your phone and passing periods and having a look on that. Make sure you're ready for <laughs> right. whatever the news is at the time you open up that, that document. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so, so, Lauren, what are some things that you're looking for um, when that admit packet comes in, what, what might it contain? Um, hopefully the word congratulations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, but if you do get into a school, um, what are some of the components of, of that application or of that um, mailing that students should pay yeah. attention to? Yeah, so each student puts slightly different information in their admit packet, um, but typically there'll be information on an admitted student's day. Um, local events in your area and other ways to interact with the school as a newly admitted student, which is always really exciting. Um, but then there's also practical information like how to accept the offer um, that include deadlines and deposits. And as you start going down the road, more and more information you need in order to um, enroll at the school. Um, there might also be information on merit scholarships um, and sometimes mm-hmm. financial aid. Sometimes it's with the admit packet and sometimes it, it follows a few days later. Um, so that really depends upon the school. Right. So, you know, you open it up, you get a congratulations, you jump around, you do some high fives, some hugging, yeah. but then dig into the details, right? Because <laughs> there's, exactly. there's a lot of cool info yeah. in there. Um, exactly. Know those deadlines, know what's coming down um, down the road. I want to talk about some of those those visit opportunities and receptions in mm-hmm. a moment. But before I do, I, you know, I'm, there are cases where you get some some bad news from schools. You might be put on the wait list. Uh, we will likely have a show uh, in the near future to talk about the wait list. Uh, you might be denied. Um, right. What are are there next steps um, in mm-hmm. either of those circumstances for families? 
Yeah, absolutely. So typically um, with a deny, a deny is a deny, and you're unlikely to get that decision changed. Um, you know, some schools don't have any appeals, and really the only times, um, you know, we ever really see it be successful is that rare situation like we talked about earlier where maybe the SAT scores didn't make it, um, maybe a transcript got, got lost along the way, but that's really rare. As for the wait list, you know, it, it depends upon the school um, how much they're going to draw on the wait list. But what I would say is get excited about the places you've been admitted to. You know, decide on one that you love and you're excited about. You know, you can certainly send a letter to one or two schools that you may have been waitlisted to if they're absolutely your first choice, saying how much you, you really want to go. But, you know, also realizing that depending upon the selectivity of the school, the odds may not be in your favor. Um, so get excited about where you have been admitted um, and what your future holds there. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's good advice both for students and for parents um, yeah. is, you know, don't put all of your eggs in the wait list basket. That might not come to fruition. If it does, right. that's a wonderful surprise, but you don't want yeah. to be in a position where you're sort of focused on something that, that just might not come to be. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think, I think that that's really helpful. And I do think, you know, I would reinforce exactly what you said about the deny. A deny is a deny. Um, and your reaction to that is it can be frustration and sadness mm -hmm. and disappointment. Um, but it's unlikely to change, very unlikely to change. Um, right. And so you want to sit, sit with it for a second, um, you know, absorb that, but then move on to, to the other great schools uh, where you've gotten offers, I think. Right. Um, and given that you've gotten some offers from other schools, let's talk a little bit about um, how a student might think about visiting or receptions or, you know, other aspects of learning about the schools where they've gotten in, especially schools if they weren't necessarily a first choice, they were down, you know, third or fourth. Mm -hmm. And so a student maybe hasn't done a deep visit, but knows they like something about that school. Where does sort of the visit process come into play here in the spring? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when students get those decisions, suddenly they're, I feel like they're seeing the schools in a different light. Um, before it was a possibility, and now they've been admitted. Um, so it, reality kind of sets in. Priorities might shift a little bit. Um, you're, they're kind of seeing the schools with fresh eyes. Um, so I would say, you know, as the decisions come back, trying to narrow down a little bit before planning to visit all of them or take advantage of all the opportunities. Sometimes the admitted students' weekends overlap. Um, maybe there's a school that they've decided they're not as interested in, so they have other schools they've been admitted to that they want to explore more fully. Um, so if possible, attending an admitted student's day can be really helpful. Um, sometimes it's a weekend, sometimes it's a day. Um, but of course, you know, that, that campus might be across the country and that's just not a possibility. So sometimes uh, schools mm -hmm. offer admitted students events in your area. Um, that you can attend, meet alumni, the admissions officer, um, and future students. And those can be great places to ask questions and see um, who might be your future classmates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can start thinking about, you know, what factors are going to matter to you. I think you got to work kind of mm -hmm. quickly talking to mom and dad about, okay, here are my priorities. Hopefully you did a yeah. little bit of that when you researched and established your list so that you can sort of plug in that information for the various schools and compare them. But I find it's yeah. often really helpful to say, I prefer to this school to that school. These are sort of my top three and, and really make some hard decisions there so that you can mm -hmm. go gather more info and make that final choice. Yeah. Um, 
But it's a great place to be because now you're you're in the driver's seat. Now you're picking a school. Yeah. You get to say no to a couple of places. You get to say yes to some place. So that I think <laughs> exactly. is really, really fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. Any... And make sure you tell the schools of those decisions. That's right. <laughs> if you decide not to attend a school, let them know. <laughs> That so they can right. potentially and, offer the spot to somebody else. And especially if you do decide to attend a school, also let them yeah. know. Let them so, know, yes. Very important. I was going to ask if you had any final advice. I think that's a uh, that's a perfect piece to go with is let these yeah. schools know what your choices are. And remember that exactly. if you accept, decide not to accept the decision, you're making space for somebody off the wait list. And that's, yeah. a, that's a good exactly. karma thing to do. Um, all right, Lauren, thanks for coming on the show today for, for office hours for this sort of conceptual discussion about these things coming in. I'm, I'm really nervous about my students getting their decisions this spring, but I'm also excited to, to hear from them. So thanks for being here. Very welcome. All right, folks, when we come back to the show, we're going to talk about financial aid myths. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever given any thought to what is behind your insurance coverage? Many of us don't think of it as more than that premium you pay on a regular basis. Of course, until you actually need to use it. On CYA with Rhonda, you'll learn to cover your assets and find out what all of that insurance mumbo jumbo really means. If you're looking for a lucrative career option, Rhonda Lukey will explain how to get into the insurance business. Listen live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, 
please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Before we get to our final segment, I want to put in a brief plug for you, our listeners, to continue sending us your questions at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Longtime listeners will know that we frequently host Q&A episodes, and we talk about both admissions and financial aid topics. But you might not know that we also use some of your bigger and more complicated questions to actually plan our episodes. We're currently planning guests and topics for early summer. And your suggestions are the basis for many of those segments. So we look forward to helping you through this process and discussing some of those segments on future shows. I hope you'll keep your questions coming and we'll be here to provide you with those answers. Now, when it comes to answers, there's nothing more important than staying away from myths and focusing instead on truths. And in our final segment today, we're welcoming the always thoroughly prepared Michelle Richardson to the show to talk about financial aid myths. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Ian. Great to have you. Now, last week, for those of you who did not listen in last week, uh, Stacy McFeeters and, and Beth talked about financial aid myths associated with the student. And today we're going to talk a little bit about income and, or I'm sorry, with the institution. And today we're going to talk about the income and assets. Um, So the first step in applying for financial aid is completing the FAFSA. And there's a lot of confusion about how to pronounce that, but not a lot of confusion about the fact that it's important. Um, No myth there, right? Um, So it determines the state's eligibility for federal, state, and institutional aid. Um, And there's asset and income information in there as well. But we want to talk about some of the some of the details associated with assets and income because there tends to be some real confusion out here and some myths that are perpetuated. So what do you find is the biggest myth that you most often hear from families around this topic? Um, Thanks, Ian. You know, the biggest myth that we often discuss with families is that saving for college really penalizes or or costs students financial aid eligibility when it comes to completing the financial aid applications like the FAFSA. And while the FAFSA does ask about student and and parent assets, such as the the amount of money that they have in their bank accounts or any money that they have saved in an educational savings plan, like a 529 plan, and other uh, non-retirement investments. But in the federal methodology behind the FAFSA, typically it's not the parental assets that may cost students financial aid eligibility. It's really the parental income. Uh, The parental income is really the number one driving factor in determining financial aid eligibility for students. And parental-owned assets uh, reported on the FAFSA are really only assessed at about a 5 to 6% rate in the mm-hmm. calculation, where in contrast to that, parental income is assessed at around 20 to 30%. So um, a good example that I often use is if a family has saved, let's say, $100,000 in a 529 plan for their child, 
Um, in the methodology derived from the FAFSA, roughly 5,600 of that 100,000 might be assessed or counted as part of the estimated family contribution, which is used to determine financial aid eligibility. And, you know, I would much rather have $100,000 saved from my child's education than, you know, lose the potential of a, of a mere $5,600 in, in eligibility. Right. I think that that I think that that's so important, and it, it's it seems intuitive, right? It's like save for college; it's a good thing. So this myth that you shouldn't save for college because it's going to hurt you later on down the road is is a tough one. It's sort of like that. It reminds me of the idea like I get one percent cash back on this credit card, so I want to go out and spend a ton of money on it so I get that cash back. But like you're also spending <laughs> tons of money to get that one percent cash back. This is the opposite. You should save because it's such a small amount that actually counts towards the EFC. Absolutely. Um, sorry. The, the next question uh, that I wanted to ask is that parents feel like they should move all their savings into their home, um, their retirement accounts, their insurance policies, and then that, that stuff's not reportable on FAFSA as an asset. So it's a, sort of a way of hiding their funding. Is that a true uh, thing that, that parents should be focusing on doing? Um, another uh, good question. So while it is true that parents do not need to report the current market value of their primary residence or the amount of money they have in their traditional retirement accounts, such as 401ks or IRAs, and they also don't need to report the value of any life insurance policies um, on the FAFSA. So, you know, one of the myths that we often have to talk about with families is, you know, we get asked, well, maybe we should move some assets around in order to maximize my child's, you know, financial aid eligibility. Um, but there's really a bigger consequence to this strategy. And, you know, typically when you start to talk about moving assets around, revolving around this myth, families are basically moving liquid assets to more non-liquid assets. And, and that might not be the best overall financial strategy for a family to make in order to try to maximize financial aid eligibility. And another component in regards to this myth is there are about 400 colleges across the country, especially the highly selective private colleges, the Ivy Leagues. Um, they utilize another financial aid application in addition to the FAFSA, and that's called the CSS Profile, which stands mm -hmm. for College Scholarship Service. And that financial aid application actually will dig a little bit deeper into the family's financial picture and will ask parents to report the amount of home equity that they have in their primary residence. And some colleges will look at that equity as a potential financial resource to uh, pay for college. And, and so... Oftentimes, we talk to families, instead of maybe moving savings into their home or retirement or maybe, you know, in, in life insurance policy, we'll talk to families about having them consider utilizing a tax-advantaged college savings account, like a 529 hmm. plan or a prepaid tuition plan or, or maybe a Coverdell education savings account, um, you know, again, saving for college, just like I mentioned earlier, uh, helps more than it hinders. And and with these tax advantage plans, uh, families don't 
pay taxes on the earnings in these accounts. And yes, while they are reportable in the calculation for both the FAFSA and CSS profile, um, but remember, you know, just like we talked about a couple minutes, the assessment is pretty minimal on these college savings plans. So, um, and one other tip I'd like to mention here is we're talking about 529 plans because another big uh, question we get in regards to this is most families will save in a 529 plan and, and it will actually be in the, pa- uh, excuse me, it'll be in the student's name rather than the parents. And so some families will ask, do we report this as a student asset on the FAFSA or is it a parental asset? And actually, it's really uh, good news. Uh, they have changed that to where 529 plan nice. funds are reported as a parental asset. So they're treated very favorably nice. in the financial aid eligibility formula. That's great. I'm, so I've got two, I got two 529s. I got one for each of my kids. And it's kind of fun to see which one outperforms the other. I don't necessarily have the same investments <laughs> in there. Um, but you, so you're talking about 529, and I've heard um, that parents, so they can put all their money in one 529 and then when that, or, or, or in two, and because you can move this money back and forth between two, two different accounts or three accounts, when my older student goes to college, if I move that 529 uh, uh, money into my younger student's 529 account, then that's not something I have to report as financial aid information. Is that true? Um, that is actually inaccurate. And, um, and you know, I just told you that child-owned 529 plans are reported as a parental asset. And, right. But one of the benefits that you just spoke about regarding the 529 plans is that parents can transfer plans from one child to another. Um, if needed, or they can even transfer 529 plans to a spouse if they're going back to college. And so um, all 529 plans within the family unit need to be reported on the financial aid applications, including the FAFSA and the CSS profile. Um, and, you know, a good example of this that we often use is, is the Brady family. And uh, I'm not talking <laughs> about Tom Brady, but good. rather Mike and Carol, <laughs> you know, from the Brady Bunch. And, right. you know, they have six children, right? They're a blended family. And, and if they were applying for financial aid for Greg and Marsha, um, they would still need to report any 529 balances that they have for the remaining siblings. So um, in case maybe Jan and Peter, if they don't go to college, uh, their remaining balances could be transferred into uh, Bobby or Cindy's accounts when, when they go to college. So basically uh, transferring 529 plans among siblings um, will not uh, – be useful in a strategy in regards to financial aid eligibility because they all 529 plans need to be reported. Got it. So it's all sort of, it, it, you think about it as one collective pool, even if it's attached to an individual student's name, it's one pool of savings um, that needs to Absolutely. be reported that's by the That's a great way family. to think about it. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's good. I'll still be cheering on, you know, which of my kids accounts are doing better, but understanding <laughs> that they are a collective asset. And for those of you playing, um, 
uh, college coach bingo at home. That's a Brady Bunch reference and an Animaniacs reference uh, in the same episode. So that's pretty rare. Um, okay, so the next thing I was curious <laughs> about, you've talked about saving for college myths. Um, and definitely, I think, have have we would agree that, you know, families need to be saving for college because it's it's more helpful than it, than it hurts. Um, can't a family just save for college in an account that's owned by a grandparent or a wealthy relative, especially somebody you would have to trust, right, because you're giving them that money. But um, is that a way to save um, funding and sort of hide it from colleges and universities? Um, another great question that we get asked all the time here at, at College Coach. And and um, as I discussed earlier, you know, um, student and parent assets are reported while uh, assets owned by grandparents or perhaps uh, another wealthy relative would not be reported on the financial aid application. So, um, however, there is a, a catch-all clause in, in the FAFSA, and it will ask families about not only their their taxable income, but also their untaxable income, including money that they have received or money that was paid on behalf of the student um, during that income year. So if students do receive 529 plan funding from a grandparent or um, or if maybe a, a wealthy aunt or uncle will send a, a tuition check to the college, this family still needs to report that on, on the FAFSA. And even though it isn't reported as an asset, it then is reported as untaxed income to the student. And that uh, can uh that's treated unfavorably in the financial aid eligibility. Um, so we really often talk uh, strategically to families about this in, in regards to timing. Um, so if families do have other members that want to help pay for college, um, it's best to perhaps have them uh, help support that student during their junior and, and senior year in college after they completed the financial aid applications uh, because then there is no financial aid application and, and nowhere to report that that gift. Um, and there are also IRS uh, gift laws that families should be um, aware of. So you can't just hide uh, money in, in an account, you know, that is not in the, in the core family. You need to be um, honorable and, and report any monies paid on the student's behalf. Gotcha. So so what do you do when you do have family members that want to pay for college? It's just a matter of being transparent uh, in the information that, that you're reporting to colleges? Right. And, and also, you know, when you're completing the financial aid applications, um, you're utilize, families are utilizing uh, two years prior uh, income information. So that's called the base year and because that's when the financial aid eligibility is, is based on. So if families want to have other members help to pay for college, um, again, have them wait and, and provide these monies in their junior and senior year of college uh, because there there is uh, – not a not a financial aid application to report that on, and um, that's one good way to uh, not have the family be penalized from a financial aid eligibility standpoint. Good, good. I think that that's great. And I, this all sounds somewhat familiar to me. And I think that there is an episode that I did with Kathy Ruby um, sometime last year where we talked about 
family members helping to support, uh, whether it's the grandparent or an aunt or uncle, helping to support a student attending college financially. So you can go back into the archives and, and have a look for that. Um, Michelle, we are just out of time for today, but I want to thank you for coming on the show and straightening us out. Um, we will definitely be saving for college uh, based on your advice here today. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. So, folks, that does it for today's show. We hope you'll join us next week. We'll have another round of listener Q&A, and we'll also be doing a deep dive into the Big Pond, Little Pond debate. Uh, What kind of fish are you, and where will you thrive? You won't want to miss it. Uh, In the meantime, enjoy your spring break and your coming college visits, being careful to avoid those pitfalls. And remember always to be kind to one another. Thanks for joining us. Have a terrific weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.